what is the people strategy you need in order to power that product or service strategy? And let's look at the functions within. There's an operational component to it um, that's similar to the operational component that falls in other GNA areas. Um, shouldn't those be sort of collectively put together so we can have operational expertise there to make sure things get through the pipe, so to speak? And then there's a strategic arm to it, and that really needs all kinds of experts to come together from each of the different disciplines that have traditionally been siloed. That was Pagaya Chief People Officer Tammy Rosen, breaking down how we might think about designing and building the people function from the ground up today. You know, I really enjoyed this conversation with Tammy. I've appreciated her work for a while, and it was fun to get into her background and her experience and thoughts ranging from executive onboarding to being the first chief people officer and much more. So she also broke a little bit of news in the podcast on her new role. So we're going to get into all of that after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Tammy Rosen. Tammy is a HR executive who has a fascinating background. She's worked across Fortune 100, startups, uh, names you'll know of from you know, uh, Apple and Goldman and Alassian and others, and she has seen a lot of different environments, and so we're going to be talking about that experience. And uh, Tammy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, why don't you start with just an introduction and help listeners get to know you a bit better? For sure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be part of the podcast today. Um, I don't know where to start, but by way of background, um, I fell into HR, I think like most people. Um, I came out of college, uh, worked at a bank. I was a loan officer um, and went to meet a friend at an interview who was looking to be a recruiter at a recruiting firm. And got interviewed by the recruiting firm. And the next thing I know, they offered me the job. And I thought, wow, this is nice, being able to help someone find that great job that they liked. And I took the job. Um, and that was my first foray into HR, um, technical recruiter, um, as an agency person. Very interesting. So that's another thing that we have in common. I actually uh, also started my career kind of by accident uh, as a technical recruiter. Yeah. So uh, Who knew? interesting space to get started. Um, you know, you, you've been in a, in a range of, of different disciplines, different roles, different industries, as I mentioned in the, in the introduction. You know, as you've seen, and I know you're a fierce advocate for kind of disrupting HR and modern HR practices, what is your take on how the field of HR has evolved over your career? So I would say that um, in some ways it really hasn't evolved as much, um, and in some ways it's gone Further. So why do I say that? You know, earlier in my career, I worked in more traditional companies and towards the latter part, I've been working in more, um, you know, more, I guess, innovative companies and uh, more startups. And what I've seen is that 
Um, if you look back, the more traditional companies had much more structured HR because they had to really care about people because they were in more service-oriented organizations and people was your product. Um, and now when you go over to Silicon Valley and you work in startups, a lot of times you have a product and a lot of CEOs believe build a product and people will come. Um, and people strategy is sort of secondary, which is more about getting hot people hired, getting people paid, getting people you know, through the different processes you need to do in order to scale. And so while I've seen, you know, growth in, in innovation in little things, I haven't seismically seen a change in HR. Um, a great example is diversity and inclusion. The same yeah. rhetoric that we had, you know, in 2000 is what's happening today. Um, even though we're further along, we're still not far along enough. So I see there's a lot more to do and a lot more to reinvent. Yeah, I mean it's so it's so interesting you say that because I think uh, one of the things when I was when I was writing redefining HR, like one of the one of the caveats I made to to readers at the beginning was, you know, the the core of this book is really an examination of of the modern sect of HR, if you will, like that you know maybe top ten percent. Of, uh, of companies that are really and that do have transformative pro practices and and approaches, um, you know. But I and this is anecdotal, uh, but I, I kind of look at that as maybe ten percent. Ten percent of the field is operating that space today, and the vast majority are, you know, still, you know, somewhere not quite there. Uh, different, you know, the delta between them and where they are can can range dramatically. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it's almost like you have to look at HR uh, through a, a segmented lens, right, of, of saying, because there's some companies that, that are pretty deeply embedded in a lot of those progressive practices, many others who, who are not, and the ones that who are not are actually at different stages of that evolutionary curve. So do you, are, are there any specific, um, when you think about kind of where we lack progress as a whole, like, you know, uh, DEI certainly is one of them, um, but are there any other areas that you feel that, uh, you know, our, our progress uh, has, has been more slow than in others? So that's a hard question to answer directly. So what I'll, I'll say about it is that I think if we just start with structure of HR, we've been using sort of the Ulrich model for so long. Um, yeah. And that's actually pretty much siloed HR into different functions. And it's those organizations that figure out how to have more cross-functional integration that actually do better. But what I... I I'm challenged with in HR right now is that I, I really believe it needs to be completely blown up, like almost like a white piece of paper and say, what is the people strategy you need in order to power that product or service strategy? And let's look at the functions within. There's an operational component to it um, that's similar to the operational component that falls in other GNA areas. Um, shouldn't those be sort of collectively put together so we can have operational expertise there to make sure things get through the pipe, so to speak. And then there's a strategic yeah. arm to it. And that really needs all kinds of experts to come together from each of the different disciplines that have traditionally been siloed. And so how do you build those teams to kind of move around the organization and, and service groups more one-to-one? How, you know, if you were, because I love the, I love the concept of a whiteboard exercise, right? Like, especially if you apply that to HR, where most of our evolution is, is iterative and it's, it's, it's slow iterative, right? It's like, uh, we, we used to do things in paper and now we're doing things online We you know, we used to be doing things one way. Now it's like a, a slightly more 
technically capable or enabled way of doing generally the same thing. Like if you were kind of going through a whiteboard exercise, designing the function from the ground up today, what you, you mentioned some of kind of what you designed for, are there any, um, you know, uh, roles and or, uh, you know, uh, functional areas that traditionally haven't existed in HR teams that you think are kind of fundamental components to what a team should include if you're building it from the ground up today? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, as I think about it, uh, wellness was not one that was very much focused on. It kind of fell within the reward function or in the benefit side. And I do think it's something that really, um, especially given everything we've been under through COVID, um, has to be front and center because you can't have productive employees or loyal, happy employees if they're not well and, ha- and and able to come and be their best self. So I think wellness has to be a major strategy for, for most companies and there needs to be more investment in a wellness area. Um, I don't think that that is um, consistent across or something that is even thought of as its own, own um, expertise that needs to be invested in. Got it. Yeah, I think we, we have a lot of work to do there. And it's, uh, it's interesting to see the conversation around wellness, I think it's in a place today that it's never been in HR in a positive way. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, for you, one of the things that I found interesting about your background is, uh, you know, it's one thing to be a chief people officer, CHRO, or the title is, uh, it's another thing to be the first <laughs> CPO. And you've done that a couple times in your career. So, you know, what is that, you know, you, you, you've stepped into a role, the CPO role, you've been the first CPO, how would you contrast kind of being that first, uh, you know, compared with being somebody, you know, going into a role that's already kind of established within the uh, executive team? Um, Yeah, so I've done it twice and um, a little bit of late breaking news. I'm about to do it again. Um, I love going in as the first because you get an opportunity to really figure out what the business needs and really think about how people can power that. And I, I look at sort of like, why do we do what we do? And I ask those kind of first principles questions. And what I love about working with founders as a first is that you can really shape the organization in a way that can power it forward. So if you get in early enough, you really have an opportunity to help create and articulate that culture well. You're able to be able to execute on a number of different things that would be new and not having to reinvent or recreate or unwind. Um, and you're able to build a foundation that could set the company on, on the right course. Um, but that does take to your point, you have to have good relationships with the C-suite because many times when you come in as a first, they don't know what to expect of a chief people officer. And, they, and their framing to some extent is maybe the HR business partner they may have worked with at another company, or maybe it's the recruiter they worked at another company. And the HR and the CPO role is more than that. Yeah, well, you uh, you buried a bit of the lead there. I want to come back to a uh, new role. So do, you you can you can break this news of the podcast if you're uh, if you're ready to do so. But you, you mentioned you, you're going to be doing this again. So uh, let me uh, let me let me come back to that comment. Yeah. What's, uh, what's next for you? So um, you know, at the end of last year, I decided to start doing some consulting um, and really help with future of work, which I'm super passionate about. Um, I helped um, with Atlassian's team anywhere and and really see that this is the wave of the future. Flexibility is is one thing, but really redesigning it around your culture and your company is more important, which allows employees to have both 
um, you know, the harmony of work and life together and being able to reach talent more broadly and then collaborate differently to me um, has been one of the best outputs of COVID. Um, so I wanted to do more than just doing it for one company and have been consulting with many on that, on culture and how you integrate DE&I um, early in this new way of rewriting norms and values. Um, but through this process and journey of my own, I've met a number of different companies and have been advising a number of different companies and have chosen to join a company called Pagaya. Um, they are uh, a next generation asset manager in the alternate credit space um, based in New York and Israel. And I'm just really excited to be their first chief people officer and help them build and scale an organization in the right way. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Well, congrats. Thank you. First off. Um, looks like you will add another uh, another notch to your experience of being the first CPO. You know, I guess you know, staying with that theme, when you, one of the things that and you touched on this briefly in your your answer about kind of what's unique about it. I think when you're when you're coming in as the first CPO, um, you know, depending on where your executive peers have worked and um, you know experience they've had, they may have never worked with the CPO. They may have never worked with a CHRO. As you mentioned, you know, a recruiter or a business partner might be the extent of the um, level and I would say kind of strategic capability that they've been uh, exposed to, frankly. And so how do you how do you go about kind of building that rapport with your C-suite peers as a new CPO, um, particularly in an environment where maybe they're, you know, they don't know what to expect from you. They don't know their, their, you know, their, their views of what comes from this discipline or a practitioner leading this function um, is calibrated at a level or two or sometimes three below, I think, what, what a seasoned CPO brings. Um, so I guess my approach is, is really, um, it's, it hasn't really changed from just being even a business partner or a recruiter, which it's all about relationships um, and and meeting people where they are and learning about their issues, their concerns, their frustrations, their um, their preconceived notions for that matter, and really showing where you can you can help them. I, I don't think there's any sort of like roadmap you could create or even a rule book. It's it's more about um, sitting and just having conversations and. As I see the CPO role, um, the first and foremost role is to help the executive team really gel and work together to deliver on the mission and the vision for the company um, and make sure that we are a very strong, powered, highly functioning team. Um, second, I see building out the whole HR function and building out capabilities that will support the organization um, through growth or even through constricting or whatever it may be doing. Um, and then third, it's really, you know, um, it is helping um, the employee brand um, externally yeah. to make sure that you can attract and retain the best people in the company. Um, so as I think about how do you do that one to one, it's really just getting to know them, getting to know their areas, their challenges, and then showing them how those things link together to the vision and the mission. Yeah. And I guess, you know, kind of on that theme as well, like when you're onboarding, as a new CPO, and obviously the you know onboarding in any job is difficult. <laughs> onboarding in an executive job is particularly difficult, and in my view, onboarding in a CPO executive job, but it has just, has plenty of its own nuance, is about as difficult as it gets. Like, do you? How do you go about like prioritizing uh, 
how you kind of understand the business, understand your team, understand the, the, you know, the growth plan, you know, build rapport with your executive peers, introduce yourself to the company. I mean, you have so many different things and a couple of things uh, that you have to do in that role. Like, how do you, how do you think about how you prioritize, you know, all of those different things, uh, especially as you kind of map out your first, you know, 90, 180 days? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, first of all, I feel like you're the doctor and the patient all at the same time. So um, that's <laughs> right. good or bad as you're integrating as a CPO, especially if you're the first, because in this case, and in many cases, I was one of the first C-suite too, outside of founders. So that actually makes it harder because, yeah. um, you know, you'll be the first um, onboarded executive. And I've joked with some founders, I'm like, you know, the next person that comes on, maybe we should send them a bottle of wine to welcome them, you know, like something just like as little touch on things like, you know, to try to like say, well, welcome to the team, or maybe we should have a dinner to welcome them around, right? Um, and um, they're like, oh, we didn't do it for you. I'm like, yeah, but that's why I'm here, right? You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's also why I'm suggesting this. <laughs> yeah, it's a little <laughs> things, right? Um, so I think the onboarding piece is is super interesting. And what I uh, have recommended, and, and obviously I'm always open to more suggestions from maybe your listeners as well, but I think the first part is to spend a lot of time learning and listening and sitting in on meetings and just really observing the culture, almost being like a sociologist and an archaeologist at the same time. So you're looking at the behaviors of people, but you're also looking for those you know, artifacts that are going to help you understand is, is this what the culture they say? Is that the culture they're doing? Um, how are decisions being made at the company? What are some of the pain points in um, the different things that people are doing? Um, how, what exists from an infrastructure, from the people side, what's working, what's not working? And really spend that, you know, 30, 90 days really um, absorbing all of that and, and just writing down things that you see and themes and, and then start to formulate where you want to um, prioritize and sit with the founders and then the C-suite themselves and say, here's some things worth that I'm thinking about. Um, this is what I think we should prioritize. What do you think? And let's have a dialogue and a conversation. Um, and then I like to, after that time, really put together a roadmap for the, the growth of the people team um, and for the function to really power that business needs. That's uh, that's that's helpful, and uh, and I may come back to you in uh, three months, and uh, you know, see see how you've applied that, or maybe what you've learned, and might tweak differently. Particularly as we're kind of going through, it's a different day today, uh, and I don't mean today specifically. I just mean in a in a in a world uh, that is adapting from COVID, and I'm not going to use phrases like new normal or new next or whatever. It's just like this is where we are now, and, and as we kind of chart our path forward. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We, we do know it's not going to look exactly like it did in, in February of 2020. And so I guess kind of getting into that, like when you think about your your role in building a people function uh, in this, you know, current reality, and obviously you've got a global team that you're going to be overseeing, like how does how does this backdrop, you know, recalibrate how you think about what your priorities will be as a new CPO coming into the organization? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I hope I can do it <laughs> justice. Um, I, th I think uh, to, um, to really bring it to a, a finer point, I would say that um, safety of employees and, and care for their, their whole life 
is something that in the past we probably would not have put front and center, but we have to now. Um, the other thing we have to figure out, especially if you're a scaling organization, is how are you going to get talent in, in a world where many companies now are going to be more flexible and are going to be more work from anywhere? Um, and, and if you're a company that's more traditional, will you be able to attract the best talent? Um, and then if you decide to go towards one of those um, you know, work from anywhere or be more hybrid in your approach, how do you make sure that people are enculturated and feel part of the whole and feel like they can have their whole career with you? So there's a lot of challenges that are going to exist in this new whatever place we're going. I don't like to use those yeah. terms either, but, but really- <laughs> We need um, a good one. We need to bring a marketing firm in that can like work with us and help create yeah. like something we can all agree on that we yeah. can just like, okay, this is our vernacular now. I, yeah, so when we're so I, I honestly uh, think that um, the best we can do right now is it is going to be human centric. Um, I yeah. think in the past we've lost that and it's been more of a field of dreams, build it and they will come. And I and I'm glad for all of us in the in this in this amazing industry in HR to be able to lead forward and take the charge to not let um, the opportunity for us to actually lead with people and realize that people produce the best products, produce the best services. And if you can have the best people come to bear for your company, you can have the best outcomes for your company, the people, the shareholders, the world. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I, that's a that's a great way of framing it. And I want to kind of connect that comment back to part of our earlier conversation around what are some of the things that we've we've kind of lacked in our evolution. Uh, and, and obviously front and center for us right now is how we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and belonging, and how we, how we really uh, think about building intentional uh, systems in our, in our entire employee life cycle, right? It's not just recruiting, it's, it's, it's every aspect of what we do. And you know, layer that into this world, this kind of more human-centric, as you frame, you know, world that we're moving into, as organizations, like, what are your thoughts around how how companies can be more intentional and thoughtful about their DEI strategy in in this kind of new environment that we're working in? Um, so, how I, I think that um, companies need to stop thinking about it as a program um, and, yeah. and as somebody's responsibility in HR. Um, I think they have to start thinking about it as a business imperative integrated into everything we do and that everybody is responsible for this. And there are simple things we all can do, which is hire people that don't look and act like us. Just start there. Then bring yeah. people under your wing who don't look and act like you. Um, you know, take a risk to mentor and groom people. Um, these things are simple but hard to do, right? Because as we are more distributed and you don't connect as easily through um, a video screen and, and a video camera, um, it's hard to feel the whole person and, and see what they're doing or how they're doing things. We have to also look differently about how we collaborate. Um, and our natural lean is going to be our biases. And, and um, that's going to gravitate to people that we enjoy spending time with who have similar interests and similar things. And um, nothing's more fun than being in a place where you're uncomfortable and you can learn and grow from people that are challenging you, or at least maybe now you're seeing my value system. Um, I, I love being around people that are going to be different and challenge me. Um, but we all have to feel that sense of discomfort in order to get better outcomes. 
Um, and in the past, DEI has been a program. It's been let's get more women. Let's have let's hit a certain number. Let's um, you know I don't know. You, you name the flavor of the week, what we need to do is as we're redefining how we collaborate, as we're redefining how we work, not where we work, we could start to think about how those norms shift for how it can include all and really be yeah. laser focused that the norm you created does that for some odd reason, make it so that people of differences don't want to come to the table. And a great example is a lot of companies love a debate culture where you're ferociously screaming at each other in a, in a meeting. Um, that doesn't work for many cultures. So can you think about other ways to debate that gets you the same outcome, but invites more people to the table? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, especially on that last point. You know, I think we, we you know, whether it's we being HR, we being, uh, I know we've both spent a lot of our time in tech, kind of the startup community. We, we get smitten with this notion of radical candor. And, you know, you ask, okay, what do you exactly, what do you mean by that? Like, how, how do you, how do you intend to, you know, really use the concept of radical candor? And for, you know, a lot of companies, it's like, I just want to be able to say what I want to say. And like, and it's like, that's not exactly what you know, this is intended to be. Like, I think if you're, if you're, if that's your approach, you're creating a hostile environment, often that is going to create a culture of fear where people aren't going to be open to being, having actual radical candor because for fear of, retaliation or, or, you know, different things that come with that more kind of cavalier, I just want to say what I want uh, with no filter approach. So, you know, one thing I, I'm curious to get your perspective on, like you, you're a fellow, uh, you know, uh, student of the field in terms of somebody who is really kind of curious about what's next and what's coming and how the industry is evolving. And so, you know, I'd love to get your perspective. Like how do you stay plugged into trends developments, you know, tools, approaches, all the change that's kind of swirling around us. Uh, I think it's, it's easy. It, it's, it's much harder, I think, for someone like you who's an operator yet, you know, so has all the demands that come with being an operator yet still is kind of required in that operator role to be connected to all these things. Like, how do you do that? Where do, where do you go to? Where do you learn? What, what, what are some go-to resources that, uh, that you get value from that listeners might want to check out? Oh, yeah. So um, like you, I don't like the word best practice. Um, yeah. I know you say this a lot and I, I love that you do because to me, best practice means that it's sort of like works for everyone, but it may not work for you. Right. So um, yeah. so I, I read a lot. Um, I scour a lot of things, but not your traditional stuff. I'm not spending my time on shrimp or I'm not spending my time, uh, you know, on all HR stuff. I'm looking at what is the business, what are businesses doing and how they're evolving and, and then where is people going to power that? So I, I spend a lot more time in podcasts, um, listening to all different kind of trends in the world versus trends in HR. And, yeah. and really thinking about where where labor markets going, where where are different things happening, and then I start to think about well, how can we think about things differently? What do people want, you know? And and simply asking the questions why we do what we do. A lot of times we get very um, connected to our ideas in HR or our programs, and we miss the big picture that we need to be more agile and we need to be more flexible and we need to shift based on how people are feeling about something. Somebody might feel one way today and then a totally different way tomorrow. And we saw that through COVID, you know, being yeah. at Atlassian and, and um, 
serving our employees every other week, we saw very quickly how solving the need we were solving in March is different than solving the need we needed in June. And, and that's like an obvious thing in technology that they do all the time because they're constantly looking to evolve and change and be agile. And I think as HR leaders, we have to take notes from different types of functions that have evolved like marketing and looking at journeys for people and, and experience and looking at engagement um, and looking at it from a whole different model and flipping the, the script on why does somebody come to a company? And my hope is that everybody can come to work at a company and bring their best self to that equation, unencumbered to do their best work and have a career where they could feel a sense of accomplishment. It's not about just making them happy with food or with, with swag or yeah. a fun party, but really getting people excited about the work that really energizes them in a way that they've become better and push themselves further in their careers. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that is, is helpful context. And I would definitely uh, underline your point about finding diversified sources outside of your domain. Uh, I, I think that that's a blind spot we tend to have in the space is when we, you know, we follow industry press or quote unquote thought leaders or, or you know, blogs, podcasts, whatever, and don't spend more time outside, especially in a role like yours where you have to have that business acumen. Um, I, I think that's really valuable. Um, Tammy, I really appreciate you making time to come on the show. I want to, I want to wrap up with a, a little lightning round just to help listeners get to know you a little better. So we're going to jump right in. I would say, uh, try to keep your answers to about a sentence on these. Okay. Yep. Here we go. All right. Top three Spotify artists. Dua Lipa, One Republic and John Legend. Ah, rage. Okay. I like that. <laughs> uh, least favorite HR buzzword. Benchmarking and change management. <laughs> we got a twofer. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I'm with you on those. Um, favorite, I know this is a loaded question as somebody who oversees an entire discipline, but I have to ask your favorite HR function. Oh, well, these days it's future of work, which is not really HR, it's everyone. But uh, I would yeah. say culture and leadership development. Okay. Uh, if you weren't in HR, what would you be doing? All right, so the dream would be I would be a singer, but I just don't have the chops for it. So I have to be vicariously loving everything, watching the voice and others. But in all honesty, um, I would probably be, um, you know, running a company or a charity that helps people find their passions in their work and realize their potential. So it would be tangential. I, I just love the people function. So I can't really see there's anything better than that other than giving back to other people to do it. I was going to say, I, I think that's attainable. I think uh, given your background, that may, that may actually be in the cards for you at some point uh, down the road. So, uh, and the last question for you, Tammy, what is one, uh, or I should say, who is one HR practitioner you admire and why? Um, there's many, but I'll pick one. And, and uh, for a specific reason, I, I would say Pat Waters, uh, mainly because she's an individual um, and because she's always reinventing and thinking about how to bring inclusion to her teams and her companies. She goes on the path that is not always the, the obvious path, but makes that path better for others as she does it. Yeah, I will, uh, I will second uh, Team Pat fan club uh, over here as well. She's tremendous. So, uh, Tammy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for breaking your news about your new role. Best of luck in that. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for making time. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. 
For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.